I'd like to thank the proprietors and the members for making this evening possible. Nina Campbell, one of the true doyens of English interior decoration, who for 50 years has embraced the tenets of English style while creating a legion of followers. She is a highly successful businesswoman, a creative genius, an original thinker, an accomplished author. I also happen to know that she's a very uh, accomplished tap dancer. <laughs> and she's fun. <laughs> uh, she enjoys an international following uh, with many projects in the United States, China, the Middle East, from royalty to Ringo Starr, and of course, to Annabelle's. It's just an extraordinary uh, amount of talent at work there. Her brilliant eye for patterns, for scale and color is legendary. She continues to influence and lead a generation of decorators today with her fresh, elegant interiors that are timeless, that is adapted to different times. She's an extraordinary person, and we're delighted to have her at the Boston Athenaeum. Nina? Well, good evening, everybody. I'm delighted to be at the Boston Athenaeum. It is, I had a chance to look around this building, and it's really, truly beautiful. I'd like to thank Chaz Miller, who's responsible for getting me here today, John and Cynthia Everett, Elsa Vernon, who sweetly took me on my little tour, and um, Brian Wanders for uh, arranging this so perfectly today. Now, I'd love the lights off, please. Elsa's doing it. Because the... Uh, the um, slides will look a bit crisper. Anyway, um, this is the, the cover of my latest book. I'm delighted to be with Rizzoli, which is, very, I mean, it's a very sort of venerable um, publisher, so I felt I'd really grown up finally after five books when they asked me <laughs> if I'd do one for them. And, um, but there was a sort of, they said, well, we'd like it a bit biographical. So I thought, oh, they obviously think I've got to the end of my life, and so the minute they say biography, you know your clogs are going to be hung up any minute. And um, my son starts talking about the exit strategy, which I don't have. So um, anyway, uh, okay, we're, we're on. So um, anyway, this is the biographical bit, so blink and you'll miss it. Um, but there is a rather puzzled child in the middle looking a bit miserable with a picnic basket. And um, I love showing that in America because my father had a great friend who was called Tony Frizzell. She was one of your f wonderful photographers. She was a war photographer. And she was a friend of my father. And she came to stay, and she thought she'd do photographs of me as a present. So we went to Hyde Park, where there are nice little railings and signs which say, do not walk on the grass by order. Well, she stepped right over the railing, followed by my father, and followed rather nervously by me, because at five years old you sort of obey orders. And so that's why I look so wretched and, and uncomfortable. But, of course, a little railing with by order was not going to stop a war photographer who'd been at the front in the Second World War. And her, all her, her, her photographs are actually in Washington. She, she was a wonderful woman. I was lucky to know her. So that's the biography bit over. I was born the day the war ended. And um, then I really... I'm, we moved house a lot in London. 
and my mother was very good at doing things up. But in those days, you actually had nothing to do it. You were lucky if you had a, a bolt of fabric which you dyed a wonderful colour. She did. She put art felt on the stairs because there was no carpet, and it was what you had were people. So we had these wonderful two people who looked after us, and they brushed the stairs every day. I mean, you know, you look back on your life and you think we lived so well. Anyway, there it is. Now, when I was um, quite young, I met Mark Burley, who owned Annabelle's. And I, I was going to Annabelle's sort of every night at that point. I was about 18. And so I said to him, well, those vitrines either side of the bar are so tacky. They're, they've got white plastic in them, and you're selling jewellery. It's really awful to sell jewellery in a nightclub. I think I probably had an extra glass of Sancerre or something at that point. <laughs> anyway, so he said, slightly, hope, thank God, slightly amused by this, um, he said, well, if you think you're so clever, you can come and do them yourself. So that was my little shoe in the door. I was working for John Fowler at the time. And so, um, and when I said Mark Burley was coming around, he said, oh, darling, I really can't be bothered to deal with him. Nightclubs, um, you do it. So that was d divine. And so I got to do the Annabelle's for really about 20 years. And um, one day, Mark went out to lunch. Well, I, I'm sure you will go have a jolly good lunch. And after lunch, you might go shopping. Well, he went shopping, and he came back with this Buddha. I don't suppose many of you have come back after lunch with a Buddha. Um, and then asked somebody else to do something about it. So um, anyway, we created this room, and I painted it this wonderful red lacquer color. The pictures, I'm sure many of you have been to Annabelle's. They were Chelichev and Baxt and all the Russian dancers. And, um, and we had this marvelous room, which I think many people have spent very happy evenings in it. And here is the bar with the famous vitrines that I recolored either side. So those I did in red silk and put the Imari china. And I must say, I do think it looks a lot better than white plastic and jewelry, actually. <laughs> so, um, so that was Annabelle's. And it was really a good start to my career because, um, A, it was fun to do. Um, and it was, I, you know, you were pushed into... I, I, I always love working for people who sort of introduce you to a whole other side that you might not have thought of and all the practicalities you have to think about when you're doing a nightclub um, and the lighting and all the things you learn. But anyway, meanwhile, um, London in the, probably the 80s, was a very different decorative scene than, than it is now. Uh, masses of colour, masses of pattern, um, pattern on pattern, groupings of pictures like you see here. This was a house of my, that, that I lived in, rather a low ceiling, um, but so hence I put in the dado rail to try and split the room so that it gave a feeling of height. Um, I don't think anybody wants, nowadays you're not meant to have portraits anymore. If you try giving your children portraits of your ancestors, they probably will say, don't worry, we'll, um, we'd rather go and buy a new painting. <laughs> and likewise with the brown furniture that they don't want either, but they will. And, um, and this was my bedroom. And of course, in those days, why have one pair of curtains when two would do? So um, you lined the curtains with one fabric and you put a blind at the window. It was absolutely wonderful to be creating fabrics in those days because, of course, everybody had miles of fabric. And then there was a terrible shock when minimalism hit. Um, <laughs> so here was my bed. And I've, somebody asked me yesterday, actually, if, you know, they were start, she was pregnant, they were starting their new house. She said, what do you think is the most important room to do first? And I said, well, do you know what? I think your bedroom is the most important room to do because when you've had a sort of 
you know, builders are driving you crazy, your new ch unborn child is kicking away, or eventually that'll become a child and they'll drive you crazy. You want a really comfortable bedroom. So, and sink and have a good night's sleep. So create your bedroom and make it really comfortable. Spend on the sheets and, and make your bed really delicious. And I, I must say, I travel a lot. And that night when I get home and I get into my own bed, despite the beds I've been in being very comfortable, it's just heaven. So that's my advice. So then I moved from that little house um, into a house with, I seem to spend my life going from eight foot ceilings to 12 foot ceilings and then back again. Um, and from flats or apartments as you call them to houses. This particular one with showing two bedrooms was an apartment. And it was actually, I, I'm sure, you, well here you would understand the sort of houses that we have in London. So it was three houses in a row that had been turned into flats. And I had th the three first floor, what I call first floor, what you would call second floor rooms. So three 20-foot square rooms, which were really fabulous. And then all the bits that went on at the back, including two roof terraces. Well, all of that was absolutely fine, except that only two of them had been knocked together. And the man was selling me the third one on a bit of a wing and a prayer because it was not connected. Well, none of that really would have mattered all that much, except that he'd been very unpopular and upset all the neighbours. Um, and the bedroom was in the third house. So I had to leave this comfortable bed, get my clothes on, and go along the balcony on the front of the house to get into the drawing room and, <laughs> and have breakfast. Well, I started by being very proper and dressing completely. And then it got a bit you know, the dressing gown. And then finally, my daughter got stuck in this side of the flat and she came along the balcony in a bath towel and that was too much for the neighbours, even in Chelsea. And so um, they somehow gave permission for this famous hole in the wall. So we connected the two flats, or the, th the three flats. And then one day, they were numbered 69, 71, and 73. And one day a friend was so confused about which one I was in that they pushed the doorbell of number 75 and said, is that Nina Campbell's flat? And the woman said, not yet. <laughs> and, and slammed the receiver down. <laughs> but anyway, meanwhile, the first uh, bedroom you'll see was the same as the last one. So I moved the fabric and, and used the same um, curtains and lengthened them and did all those things that I'd learned from my mother when there was no fabric. And then minimalism sort of began to rear its ugly head and so I decided I would go with the flow. So I did the other bedroom, the beige one, and my daughter, who's now a designer, Rita Koenig, said to me, as only children can, rather witheringly, Mummy, you've confused minimalism with beige. <laughs> so, so I said, well, it's as minimal as I'm getting, so that's the end of it. And then um, the other room, which was rather wonderful, was this library dining room. And I love a library dining room. I think books furnish a room. I mean, first of all, you hope that they're books that you have read or will read. But if you think about it, if you have a room that's a certain color, you've got all those bookshelves, and you start to put books in, first of all, it shows your character and who you are and what you're interested in, but it also brings masses of colors into the room. So that if you have a room that's possibly not so colorful, you suddenly put books in. And the whole thing comes to life. And I've just been down the road here to a house I did um, over the last two or three years. And they've started to fill their library. And it's just 
altered. It, you know, it, it really has changed the whole thing because that's what you need. Anyway, here is a book, one of the first books I ever wrote on Elsie Dwolf, sitting in a chair, and there's a curtain behind it. And then you'll see the doll's house that is behind the curtain. And if you're very beady-eyed, you might see a little animal about to come out of the doll's house, which was Ferrari, the, the um, not ferret, luckily, but the, the hamster. And I don't know if it was a phase here, but in England, every child wanted a hamster. And it's the most useless pet because it's asleep all day and it's awake all night. And I love animals, so I just used to come back from dinner and think, oh, God, the poor hamster hasn't said, hasn't, no one's talked to the hamster all day, so I better talk to it. So I spent all night talking to the hamster. And, um, and then it, it had a wonderful cage that sat on the table for the daytime. And then sometimes we used to pop it into the doll's house so that it could have a sort of weekend home. And, um, and my daughter said to me, Mummy, Ferrari is so clever. He's just peed in the bathroom. So I said, well, I suspect he's peed everywhere else as well. So, um, and this was the famous table on which he, he sat when we weren't having dinner on it. And there's the library all around it. And it was a really wonderfully comfortable room, sort of, I suppose, the nearest we got to a sort of family room. And underneath this dining table was um, a billiard table. And that was quite useful because I had a, a son of, who was actually about 12 or 13 at the time. So he wasn't awfully tall. So in order to make it more comfortable to eat on, I cut the legs off the billiard table. Um, but then he grew, which was rather unfortunate. I mean, it was very fortunate for him. But um, it was unfortunate for anyone playing billiards. Um, so the table went. We, went to, we sent it to a children's home in the hope that by the time they got too tall, they would have found somewhere else to live. Anyway, that was the sort of little drift through the 80s and 90s, um, and now we go to what I've been up to lately. And this is an apartment in New York. It's very high. Um, I love to create drama in a hall. I think you want to arrive and, and feel immediately that you've, you have a sort of sense of arrival in a, in a wonderful place. The clients who live here um, have a home in, um, in, in um, Chicago, so the floor here is a nod to Adler. Um, I worked on this with Ferguson Shamamian, who are wonderful um, architects, and we did another home for them elsewhere. But this was a sort of going to be a crisp little New York pad, and um, this um, dark hallway gives into the very light and wonderful drawing room or living room, um, and the windows look out onto, I mean, we're 14 floors up, so there's just wonderful space and buildings, which they kindly light up at night, so it's like having a picture, really, um, outside the windows. And I wanted to bring the colours through. I think when you design not a very large space, you want to keep the same colour palette flowing so that you don't, it, you don't, it doesn't jar your eye, so it just flows into different sort of feelings. And um, I did ask her, she's somebody who loves entertaining and loves buying china and glass for the table, which I do as well. And I said, well, let's go and buy the china from New York. And she said, no, no, we're not going to buy any china. I want to go out to lunch, tea, and dinner when I'm in New York. So we bought the minimal so that there's no question of having to entertain at this table, which I sort of understand. There's so much going on in New York. Anyway, here was the, um, this... Um, the, the drawing room, we, we put a, a glass collection mode fireplace and mirrored 
the, the chimney breast, so that I wanted that a feeling of sort of floating on that back wall, and the curtains are just unlined, um, sort of a, a whitish silk with a big paisley border at the bottom. And the other side of the um, fireplace is this um, uh, wonderful painting by Kenneth Nolan, and it's extraordinary because as you move across the room, the colours change. So it's really quite extraordinary. And they had um, an art advisor to help them, and the art was really quite interesting. I don't think interior designers, apart from suggesting art and putting art in front of clients, should really buy the art. I like to feel that the people I work for want a pa I think art has to be a passion. I think you want to, I mean, I can suggest many things, put you in the way of something, but I think to buy a painting, it, it's quite different from a piece of furniture. It has to really sort of hit you in the heart and you have to really want it badly. So I think it's a really different suggestion. So I was really, it was another journey working with this um, person who, who we did all the art, you know, she, she was suggesting wonderful things and, and, and they fell for what they, what they really felt strongly about. And then next to this drawing room was a wonderfully cosy little library, television, um, huge comfortable sofas that you can just throw yourself on and watch a film and go to sleep watching it, which is probably what happens. And, um, but what I liked here was because we were trying to make this rather crisp, we panelled the room, but instead of panelling it in like a proper raised and fielded panel, we sunk the... Um, strips of um, nickel in the same shapes that the panels would have been in but somehow in a more contemporary way. There was another thing about this too was that we couldn't afford to lose one inch of this room so by keeping the walls flat we didn't take up any of the room with moulding. And then a little detail that I rather love is the windows we lined out in mirror so that um, first of all all the other buildings were sort of became more apparent in the room and then we put this sort of nod to um, Bunny Mellon, these little myrtle trees that um, she made so, so popular. Um, I think actually in reality in this room, you'd have to have these would have to be fake because if you look carefully, you'll see that it's a, a, a grill, which is either hot or cold air coming. So real ones would not have a very happy time. But the, the mirroring of, of, of things, I learned very much when I did a book on Elsie de Wolfe because she wrote a book called The Little House of Many Mirrors. And she was the sort of, really the genius of putting slips of mirror in all sorts of places, as did Sir John Soane, actually, when I saw his library in London. Um, and I, I think, again, this bed with the mirrored slips in the side, you just get little slithers of light and going, you can see things going on in another part of the room in these little bits of mirror. And I think it's a lovely way of just adding a spark to a room. So this was um, this was her bedroom, a four-poster bed with the mirrored slips in it. And funnily enough, I did two sections, two different houses for two different people last year, and suddenly they both wanted mauve, lavender, not mauve, actually I hate the word mauve, they wanted lavender, purple, amethyst. So little amethyst jewellery going on here. And um, and it's so odd when suddenly two people completely unconnected that you're working for suddenly have a feeling that they want to go down this colour route. So I think I know every single pattern of fabric of these guys in this colour palette that exists at the moment. So that's New York. Um, and now we go to Rome. I think we go to Rome. Yes, here we are. 
Um, now, um, this is about, I think it's about the sixth house that I've done for this relatively young couple. Um, I first came across them in London, and we did a house for them. Then they bought a little apartment in Rome, and the little apartment is through those doorways. And then the poor sort of unsuspecting lady who lived in this room, and it was her apartment, she was kind of persuaded that maybe she'd like to go and live somewhere else. <laughs> and, uh, so they came bursting through these two doorways. And, um, and we t we, it's a wonderful apartment in the Via Condotti. And it's very high. I think it's extraordinary that this building, I don't know what it was, because here is this extremely high ceiling. And um, on something like the fifth or sixth floor, which wouldn't, certainly wouldn't happen in England. Anyway, um, they've got, the, the, between them, he has sort of rather grand furniture. And she loves very modern. She's a Milanese, and she loves modern furniture. So we had to sort of tie this together. And so I think in, with this gra these rather grand chairs, and you'll see other rather grand furniture, these incredible Piranesi pictures, which are original um, uh, views of Rome, um, putting that coconut matting on the floor suddenly sort of debunked the sort of grandeur. And I think it's quite a good tool, you know, quite often I've done it quite a lot. Because if you had a wonderful rug, or maybe if you had an oriental rug, it would sort of suddenly become a little bit more serious. And this was, we were trying to keep it, um, keep it light. And so we put fabric on the wall. I, I love to put fabric on the wall because it deadens the sound. And I think so many places, certainly I wish every restaurant now would put it on because you can't hear yourself think. And actually now that nobody smokes inside, it's perfectly possible. And the floors here are this, it's in Italy, you call it corto, and it's a sort of polished plaster. And we did, we took these three colors, a buff color, a dark green and a white, and we played through the apartment, which is quite large, with different ways of laying, the, uh, of laying it, whether we had it bordered or checkered. And so as you go through the apartment, the floor is the same, but it slightly changes, which um, I think is, is quite fun. And then from this room, you go to their bedroom in a sort of enfilade. So you can see the beginning of the more serious furniture here. Again, the same fabric on the wall, different borders around the edge, just to give it a bit of a sort of edge. And, and, and um, we put in the dado rails. We gave them a very elaborate headboard, but it's in a tone-on-tone -tone damask. And then one side of the bed, we had a t skirted table, which again has been sort of deemed to be um, out of fashion, but I think it's a useful things sometimes because the other side of the bed was an amazing um, chest of drawers. And being an old chest of drawers, there wasn't, you couldn't ring up and get another one. So that what we do is we make the top, we make the table the same height. So the lamps are the same height and the whole thing sort of just, just go, works. And I think that's um, very, very important. And I think you might see in this picture the little steel light, rather like an airline. But I'm finding that I don't know whether we're all getting a little bit older, but um, it's a very good reading light for in bed. And so if you want to read and the other half doesn't want to, you can just turn on this little light and read your book and keep, um, and hopefully fall back to sleep again. So now we go for the same family. It's not very happy, this thing, here we go. Uh, with the same family, we go back to the second um, house we did for them in London. And again, a terraced house, quite uh, small, 
um, really, although it's in, um, you know, it's, it's big by London standards, but um, they, they are quite small and upright. So we decided that we'd make, we'd try and open the hallway as much as we could. So hence this big opening that goes off to the right and a doorway going into the drawing room on the left. So we created an inner hall with those wonderful heavy blue curtains. And we lacquered within that little anti-space the back of the door and the whole area in this very, very rich, dark sort of sapphire blue, just to make, a, again, making a point of it. So you knew you'd arrived and then you arrive in the main hall. And the space through that double archway Um, we put a bar. We built a wonderful, like a, a mahogany bookcase. There are lovely pictures here. And then, but I think a bar looks so inviting. I mean, you can buy beautiful glasses. You have wonderful uh, decanters. You have all these amazing bottles of things. And then you can do the drinks in this space. So you get all of that out of the way. And then people can join the party. And, um, and also you can have a little gossip with somebody as you're giving them a glass of whatever deliciousness you, you concocting before you go across into the drawing room, which is going to come up in a minute. Why is this not working? Here we go. And this is a room, I think floor plans, seating plans are very important because um, a drawing room doesn't need, you're not really going to, if you've got two rooms, you're not really going to have to read a book and watch the television, hopefully, in the drawing room. You're going to be sitting and perching and talking and being comfortable. So here we did, we could have either put a sofa either side of the fireplace and just probably reduced the room to four seats, possibly a stool in front of the fireplace. But it was an awkward room. You had the door in, you had the fireplace, you had a door to the library on the other side and you had windows on, 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 the, on, the, on the left. So. So we decided to put a sofa and these two little funny slipper chairs. One of the Roman chairs, which was a set of four, crept over to London. And then on the other side of the room, we put... Uh, we put this bonquette. So that it's a very good entertaining room for a dinner. If you've got 12 people coming, actually everybody can sit down if they want to. And um, I think that's a really important thing to think about. Sometimes I think we believe that you're only going to be comfortable in a really deep sofa. And I feel that that's not happening anymore. First of all, half my friends can't get out of the really deep sofa. <laughs> and so a lot of people like to sit. It's got to be comfortable, but it doesn't have to be that deep anymore. And then, and I quite like, if I'm entertaining, I like to be able to get up and down quite quickly when people come through the door and say hello, rather than struggling so that it looks as if, you know, you really didn't want them to come. So um, this was how we treated this drawing room. And then you go through... You go through that doorway that you saw, and this is the library which has got the sofa, the comfortable, the television, and the chairs, and you can put your feet up on those little tables in front of the... Oh, now it's gone mad. Um, so it's got upset. Um, anyway, that is the comfortable room. And then we went downstairs. I'm sure you all know we have a disease in England called basements. And um, we're digging like mad. We're going down layer upon layer in our basements. But this was the, this was the original kitchen which was in the, in the first basement of the house, and we turned it into a dining room 
because everybody wants to have a dining room kitchen near to each other because it's much more um, it's much more relaxing, it's much more cosy, and it's the way people live. So again, I put fabric on the wall, a, a damask on the wall. We put quite heavy curtains. I remember doing a talk in L.A. a long time ago, and we opened up to question time. And the man said, is it because of acid rain that you have such heavy curtains? Well, I'd never heard of acid rain, so I said, no, it's because of drafts. <laughs> and then one of the things that I feel quite serious about is storage. And by the fireplace, you've got these two cupboards that we built into this room. And one in a minute, I don't know what is happening with this thing. Am I doing something wrong here? Here it is. Um, I think it's rather nice when you have a cupboard and you open it, if it's joyful inside. So I painted the, I painted the inside of the cupboards this wonderful coral cover. She luckily went out and bought the, all the knives and forks from Hermes, so they matched. <laughs> But that wasn't, I mean, I didn't insist. <laughs> and, um, but I do like the fact that there's a space for everything. It just makes it so much easier to be tidy. Now let's hope that kitchen comes back. I haven't offended it. Here we go. And so here you see Mickey Mouse, which was her, um, what she wanted desperately somewhere in the house, above the little bonquette in the kitchen. And Mr. Tonnet's chairs that have always been bent wood and brown have now been, um, uh, they, they've made a whole collection of them in all different wonderful colours. So they're much more cheerful. So this is the kitchen and it leads onto this amazing garden with the Lalanne apple, which she bought. You see, sometimes people don't understand scale. And, um, and <laughs> she bought it for the hall. <laughs> and so um, when we explained that it wasn't going to A, get through the front door um, or, get, or if we did put it in the hall, no, none of her friends could come by um, we put it in the garden and I think it's, you know, it's one of those happy accidents I think because it's just magical and then you'll see the different um, levels in the garden because um, what we did was we dug quite a long, long way down you're not allowed to um, put go up in London but you are allowed to go down and so we dug down and we did this room this room is a cinema um, it's a cinema gym but it's as you can see it's mainly cinema the gym is a little bit sort of it's there is a bicycle in the cupboard and that's about <laughs> so I think that was just a gesture Anyway, um, and we mirrored the corners of the room to make it feel, because there are obviously no windows. So we did, in each corner, we did that sort of double, um, double mirrored section and then put a wall, wonderful uh, sort of deco wall light on it. So it's already, I think when you, have a, when you dig a basement, you want to make it a little bit higher ceiling than you might otherwise because it does, stops you thinking that you're in a bunker. And then we turned the house really up, slightly upside down and the room that should have been the drawing room became the master bedroom. And again, really with a nod to, I know her now so well, she, doesn't, she didn't want, she's not English, she's Italian, she's incredibly chic, very clever girl, and she didn't want a very over-feminine bedroom. So we decided on this chocolate damask, which we had woven specially for her. And I think sometimes people get frightened of dark colors and think it might be gloomy, but actually there's not that much of it because you've got the, 
the windows, which have got white curtains. You've got the dado rail, which is painted white, and the fireplace. You've got the paintings, you've got a ceiling, and you've got the whole bed in white. So actually, you haven't got much of that dark brown in the room, but it's a wonderful background for the, these rather extraordinary maps that they've got. And so that's, um, that's the master bedroom with a little jib door that goes through to the bathroom. And then they've both got dressing rooms. So they took over the entire first floor or second floor for themselves. And then the, there's children's rooms, which we're not showing, but then we went up into the attics to make a guest bedroom. And, um, and I think up here, I mean, we have got a very low ceiling, but I think guest bedrooms have to be really charming, comfortable. We put fabric on the wall again. Um, wonderful bed linens that make that go with the room. And I think one of my sort of pleas to my, my clients is, you'll have a cupboard in the guest bedroom. Please don't fill it with all those old clothes that you never want to see. Get rid of them and leave the cupboard in the bedroom, or the guest bedroom, with very nice hangers so that the guest doesn't fight their way through a whole lot of sort of cleaning bags and funny old dresses to hang their own clothes. But it's funny what you can start storing in a guest bedroom if you don't take control of yourself. So now we go to Germany, and I, I showed this slide yesterday, and it was so funny because there was a couple who actually, she was from the village where this uh, castle is, and knows it very well, and said, oh, I always thought it was so gloomy, but your pictures are wonderful. Well, it was gloomy. It was, it's a beautiful castle. Actually, it's not really a beautiful castle. It looks like, um, it looks like Disney on a trip, because it was Victoria, and it was built by Queen Victoria's daughter, who was the Kaiserine of Germany, and, uh, and she was widowed, and her son, of course, was Kaiser William. And she built this place for herself for, because she was very young as a widow. And so this was her dower castle, I suppose you might call it, instead of a dower house. Anyway, the, the books are wonderful. The panelling is okay. Um, and it was sort of cream paint, which was really gloomy, and some really dull carpet. But they had already turned it into a hotel, and they had already chosen the pink chairs. So we decided these paintings are wonderful. I mean, they're all originals, and as all their relations. I mean, Queen Victoria scattered her relations all over Europe, and they were all painted by really quite proper people. So there's, there's Zoffany and goodness knows who painting all these things. And so they are good paintings. And so I decided to paint the walls this blue color, which I felt would show the pictures up much more. And then there was quite a lot of blue and white pottery lying around, so we shoved all that on top of the bookcases. And then we created this carpet in, to make those pink chairs not feel so out of place. And we put the pinks and the reds and the blues together in the carpet. And it does seem um, a bit more cheerful now. And then the other thing, you know, there's always a budget when you're designing. And <laughs> no more serious when you're doing a hotel. And I loved that there was a striped fabric, which I really loved, but it was very expensive. And the windows are huge, as you can see, and there's three of them. So we decided to buy the striped fabric, cut it up into borders, and apply it to a rather reasonable blue fabric for the blinds. So suddenly, what we wanted, we kept, but we were able to, it was able to fit into the budget. And then again, back to the attics, um, we turned about 10 of the attic servants' rooms into suites. And actually, they're rather cosy. I think if you went and stay in that very imposing castle, it would be quite nice to go upstairs and find a sort of understandable room. So we made, this was a sitting room, 
what I do at these attic windows is shutters covered in fabric because curtains take up too much light. And, um, and I think you, what you do, you do want the light. So these are little shutters which we had made and they just have the fabrics on them, so they look pretty. And this is the, um, the end where you have your little breakfast and looking through to the bedroom. So that was the hotel, and it's actually, um, it's, it's called Kronberg, it's just outside um, Frankfurt. Um, and now we leave Germany, and in a minute, British Airways allowing, we get to England. And this is um, an, a little, it's always rather nice when a young couple come to you and say that they really want you to um, help them. And um, this was a lovely young couple, uh, three young children. She said, my husband won't let me do anything unless you approve. So I said, well, let, don't let's get too overexcited about that. What would you like? So we sorted it all out and we did a lovely house for them. This was the hallway. Then it led into a rather pretty drawing room. And he said that he wanted a drawing room that he, when he came home, he would sit and talk to his wife and he didn't want it to be a parlor, sort of like once a year type of room, which I think drawing rooms can become. So actually, since we did this, he's six foot eight. And he said, when I'm in the drawing room, I want that sofa is not big enough. So can we have another one that's longer so I can lie full length on it when I want to chatter? So that's what we've done. And that's going in another room. So that's what's going to happen there. But I love the fact that he wanted to do that. She bought some I persuaded her to buy some proper old furniture so that the chest of drawers either side of the fireplace are old. But I said, you don't need to make it feel like your grandmother left you a whole lot of furniture. Let's put in contemporary paintings. So again, I introduced them to various galleries and they've gone off on their journey to buy. And it's so much fun for a young couple, I think, to, to start buying paintings together. And sometimes you might buy a picture that starts in your drawing room and ends up in another less important room because then you, you know, you, 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 your eye changes. In fact, one of the things I learned from John Fowler, which was so wonderful when I started to work for him, I said, how do you start collecting? And he said, you buy what pleases your eye. When it ceases to do so, you get rid of it. And actually the little picture that I wanted to buy at that moment, I still have because A, it makes me think of him, but I still love it. So, you know, it was only, it was very cheap, but it didn't matter. Um, I still enjoy it and I remember that moment. And I think it's incredibly good advice, actually. So this is the um, garden hall. Um, again, we put the coconut matting down. It's cozy, it's comfortable. It's got the drink tray in it. And it's also got something which is vital in England and actually it possibly might be vital in New England. It's got a wood burning, log burning fire, we call them. You put them in the chimney, and even if you've never been a Girl Scout and you haven't learned to rub sticks together and lay a fire, you just throw the logs in and somehow throw a match in and the whole thing works and the house is toasty. So it's rather a good idea. And all the young are putting them into their houses now. They're not really very beautiful, but if it's in a room that, like a garden hall, it doesn't really matter. The other thing that he requested was a room for himself. So he said, I want tartan carpet. He'd seen a book where I'd done a tartan carpet. He wanted red walls, and he only wanted two armchairs. So we snuck the sort of fender stool in, because they've got three little children we thought could line up on that. And then, not long afterwards, his wife said, it's absolutely hopeless, that room. 
because we all want to be in it because it's so cosy in the winter. So she went off and she bought this acid yellow velvet Chesterfield sofa. So then she said, do you think we should recover it? And I said, you know what? I don't think we do. I think it's wonderful, that, that sort, of, sort of hit of this wonderful color in this room. We'll pile it with cushions so it's not quite so yellow and quite so obvious. And let's see what happens. And when the children rub chocolate spread all over it, which they probably will do, we'll change it down the line. But for the moment, it really doesn't matter. And I think that's what houses should be. I mean, why do we want houses? Sometimes people say, oh, you've decorated for the king of this and the queen of that and blah, blah, blah. What, what do ordinary people want? I said, well, everybody wants the same. Everybody wants to invite their friends. Everybody wants to have a good time. And everybody wants to feel relaxed when they go home. It doesn't matter who you are. So I think the whole approach is, is let your house, don't get panicked about your house. Just, I did a house in New York the other day, and he's a big party giver, and it was all ready, and he asked me to this party. He had sort of 200 people through the house, and there's jazz musicians, and it's really wild. Anyway, he rang me up the quite late the next day, because clearly the party hadn't ended till about five. I was back in England, and he said, we've had the first red wine spill, but don't worry, it's fine. It came off, I mean, it's clean, and it's okay. And the party was a huge hit. But isn't that the point? And I think when you have a new house, the first thing you want to do is spill something and get over it. And this is the, everybody now, as we've said before, has a sort of kitchen, dining room. So this was a big kitchen, wonderful long wooden table, and backing onto the, the kitchen where it all happens. And, but now, in fact, we're converting a barn in this house. They've got a wonderful old 17th century barn. And we're going to make that into a sort of party room. So there'll be a big fireplace, there'll be sofas, there'll be a, a, another table, so that parties and yoga and children's parties and everything else can go on um, in that room. And of course, you have to have guest bedrooms in a, in a country house. And here is a sweet little bedroom that we did. The bedrooms were on the small side. So I decided to put in the cupboards because storage is so important as we've been through. One cupboard, I told her, it has to be empty for the hangers. The other cupboard, you put the extra bedclothes in. And um, we lined out the alcove to the bed in the same fabric as the curtain. So I think it's like a little jewel box, this room. And I think if you have small rooms, they need to be really finished and to perfection. And that's not the place where you dump old furniture. You really have to think it all through, like that tiny little chair, which is um, the only thing that fits into the room. So there is the, the little house in Gloucestershire. And the next project was quite extraordinary. Sheikh Hamad from Qatar who's a, a, a huge collector of almost everything, came to me and asked me if I'd do his box at Ascot. He bought four boxes and put them into one. And um, so we had this great long swathe of chairs, which are actually blue plastic flip-top chairs, so they couldn't be more unpleasant. So we slip-covered them in white umbrella and piped them in red, which are his racing colors. And then we carpeted the floor with outdoor coconut matting. I always sort of think maybe the queen will drive past in her carriage and wonder why there's this mass of white seats when she's got nasty blue plastic ones. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure one day she'll, she'll ring up. Um, and then um, he wanted to be able to entertain 10 people, uh, 20 people. So we put in a most extraordinary kitchen which can, well, actually, his words were, I want, if I want lobster souffle, 
I want to have a lobster souffle, so fine. He can have, the kitchen is up to 20 lobster souffles happening at the same time. And so we did this, he, he wanted to use this sort of rather, rather stylish French um, furniture, and he bought the originals of these chairs, and then we had them copied, because um, they weren't enough. And there was this room for entertaining, and then one end of the room, you have a sitting area, and we also put in a special bathroom for him because, you know, you go to all these wonderful events, you're in your best clothes, and then you want to go to the ladies' room or the gents. But there's 5,000 other people wanting to do the same, and you're in a bit of a rush, and you've had this very glamorous lunch. So we decided to put in our own for him so that, so that it has its own bathroom, which I just think is probably more luxurious than having a lobster souffle. <laughs> And then there was another slight problem, which was that those boxes were on the fourth floor. I'm sure many of you have been to Ascot. And then you have to go down all these escalators to get to the winner's, winner's enclosure. And that's on the first floor. And, of course, if you're in a hurry to get to the winner's enclosure, you're going to miss the cup because there's so many people on the stairs. So he bought another box, which was this one. This is next to the Queen's box, actually. And we did this up for him so he could have a cup of tea in comfort. And if his horse won, uh, he could whip across and, and collect his, his, his um, cup, his trophy. Unfortunately, actually, as soon as he built the box, he hasn't won a race yet. But anyway, never mind. I'm sure next year Ascot's coming up. Um, and then I did a house in, in London, in Eaton, in Eaton Place, for um, a Saudi prince who was absolutely charming and um, wanted this house to be a real family house for him and his children and his family, which was, which was growing quite a pace. And, of course, the house wasn't quite big enough. So he then decided it would be a good idea to buy bits of the house next door, which didn't entirely conform with the Grosvenor estate. Um, and we had a little bit of trouble with um, getting permission but anyway, we did manage it, and we sort of dug little holes and doorways at various different floors, and he burrowed into f sort of flats in the next-door building, which we did in the summer when the residents weren't there. Um, and one day, I expect, he'll own the whole building. But this is where um, he sits, and then this is where the people who come and talk to him sit. And, um, and, then, and, and of course, that's only men in this room. And then um, you go through to the dining room. But it was a wonderful house to restore. And actually, what I love about working all over the world is that people's customs and habits are different everywhere. And you just go with it and understand it. And it just, um, I, th I think, I find I'm so grateful that I'm still learning about what's going on, you know, in different places. So this was the dining room. And I did do this wonderful polished blue lacquer on the wall. And I did mirrors in lots of the panels. And I put sconces on the mirrors because I was a bit worried about the art that was going to come. Um, and I was right to be worried because they're not what I would have chosen. Or, I mean, and also, actually, he, to be fair, he didn't really choose them. They were put there by other people. Very, not very nice things. Anyway, there they are. There's two of them. And we managed to get rid of all the others. Um, we did two chandeliers in this room, which is really rather glamorous, and the table. We can divide the table in half and make two smaller tables or two tables of eight. And I think the combination of tables and how they sit, and his wife sometimes has one, or they have the whole table. So it's quite fun, the whole sort of dining arrangements there. He then has another little library, 
which was this beautiful vaulted room. It was already there. And we did the painting on the ceiling to sort of make more of it. And we put in these books, bookcases. And he's got a little garden outside. And then um, he's got his bedroom again. Like the two women who like lavender, here was another client who wanted the chocolate brown bedroom with the blues and all the brown. I think it's just very relaxing. We did blue and white pots on the wall on brackets. Um, of course, because he was a minister, um, we had to have the most massive television screen because it not only had to have the one screen around the edge, I've never seen such a thing, were four or five different channels. So I didn't know how you watch because one eye was this way and the other one that way and how you would ever understand what was going on. But anyway, there were all the channels from all around the world going on at the same time. I suppose if it said breaking news, you w watch that one. Anyway, that was happening on the other side of the room which I managed not to photograph, because that really offends me, a great big television like that. Um, and I always like to sort of get, hide them. And this was his dressing room, and then you can see the door open goes into the bathroom. So that was um, really a wonderfully comfortable room, and it's repeated upstairs for his wife, so she has the same suite of rooms, obviously more feminine. And then the other thing, he dug, he dug two extra basements, one was so they could have a really commercial kitchen because they entertained in huge quantities. And then the se and flower rooms. We had huge walk-in uh, cool rooms for the flowers to be kept, which actually was really magical. I mean, I don't know many houses that can accommodate that, but you, after you've seen that, you think, gosh, that really is awfully nice. Um, and then down in the basement, we did this billiard room, cinema, bar, strangely, and swimming pool hairdressing, hairdressing sort of salon, and, um, and a sauna. So that was all going on in this. Practically, we were in Australia by this time, I think. <laughs> and this is the other side. But his attitude was that he didn't, he had these two rather almost teenage children, then he had younger ones. And he said, I don't want my children going out and becoming too you know, westernized and getting and going out with boys. You know, I want them to stay home. They can invite anybody home, but I want to know who, what's going on. So I felt, okay, that was, that was quite sensible, really. And then I did a wonderful house in Los Angeles as a show house. It's not something that happens really in England. But um, I was asked to do Greystone Manor. And this, um, it's, it's quite difficult doing a show house because you can't, it, it, you can't really touch if you touch the paint it's got to be re replaced exactly as it was so I decided to panel these above this fireplace which was a little bit on the small size for the room anyway I felt in this soft gray green satin and I've got a friend and a wonderful um, character called Tommy Mitchell who started his career um, mending mycin flowers and then he started, decided to create his own pots of flowers. And so I decided that I'd put them on this fireplace as if it was a picture, because a picture really wouldn't have fitted. And then um, the room had belonged to Mr. Doheny, who was the, the son of the builder of the house. It was built for him and his wife. And so this was Mr. Doheny's bedroom. And then next door was Mrs. Doheny's bedroom, which was being done up by a friend of mine, called Beth Webb, who's another um, designer from here. And we got together so that our rooms looked a little bit as if you, they would look in a private house, that they flowed one into the other. And um, it was, we, made, we managed to make our rooms very comfortable. 
And um, somebody said, why now they're so comfortable, we just want to be in them. Why don't you stay here, not at the hotel? And one of the docents overheard and said, we're out of here as soon as it becomes dusk, because the, you hear screams of the ghosts. And actually, four murders took place in that house. Um, so it was rather scary. I mean, the poor Mr. Doheny it was built for was, I think, shot by his private secretary, who then killed himself, or the other way around. Anyway, there were two bodies. It sounds like Cluedo, actually. Uh, two bodies in the library. And then Mrs. Doheny married somebody with a wandering eye, and somebody, one of the maids got very upset, and she did herself in in the pantry. So um, there was lots of things going on spiritually in this house, which made it <laughs> somewhere you didn't really want to be after dark. And I was lucky enough, thanks to a wonderful friend of mine who lives in L.A., to meet the granddaughter of, of the Mrs. Doheny, who, who lived quite a long time. And she told me that when she used to go and spend Christmas with her grandmother, the girls were all allowed to sleep in, with their grandmother in the bed, but the poor boys had to go to the guest rooms and sort of didn't get a wink of sleep all night. So um, that was the, this... But it was a great fun to do. And then... Um, and then this was this beautiful bathroom, which really needed almost nothing doing to it. But, um, and it went through to the massage parlor and then on through to, the, to Mrs. Doheny's bedroom. But this was just such a joy to work with. And it was, it was great fun, actually, doing a show house because you really get to know the other designers really well and you have a wonderful spirit that goes on in getting this house ready in 10 days. And you're allowed to go and to all these fancy shops and say, oh, I'd love that, and oh, may I have that? You don't have to ask the price. They just all send you this glorious furniture, and um, you pop it in. So it was a great experience. And now we'll, I'll show you my little house, which is affectionately known as the hut, um, because when I found it, the, the real estate agent showed me this extraordinary little house in a street that I knew, and I'd said to him, you know, I don't want one of those houses, They're those houses that I've grown up in. And he said, oh, this is different. So I thought, oh, well, I suppose I'd better be polite, I'll go along. And he was standing in this little front garden. And I said, you must be joking, I couldn't get my luggage in this house, let alone myself. Anyway, I went in, and I went up the stairs, and the house was hideous. I went into the bedroom, and out of the window was a magnolia tree in full bloom. And I thought, oh, huh. We've got to make this work. And somehow I bought it. I dug a basement like everybody else. So I put the guest room and the TV room and the laundry down there. And I opened up the ground floor so that it just became um, entirely living. And um, I mirrored the fireplace to try and make it look a little bit bigger. I lacquered the ceiling so that it sort of, again, it appeared to be a bit higher. And, um, and then I used lots of mirrors elsewhere. And then um, we go through to the dining room, which was all open. And I have a wonderful friend in Paris um, who's talented and attractive. And he made this glass screen, which I pull across, so I can divide the room if I want to, with this kind of in, in, um, engraved glass screen. So you still get the light coming through. So it's sort of, I've done everything I can to make it appear bigger. And funny enough, it is a rather elastic little house because... Um, I've had dinners of, I've even had 20 people for dinner there, I think. But what's rather nice is outside the windows, all of which were redone completely. There's a little garden outside this dining end, and there's a garden outside the sitting end. So when I'm sitting there at the end of the day, all I can see are trees, 
and my flowers, and I don't see any other houses, which actually in London is rather nice. So as we've got to a dining room table, I think we should think about the fact that I know there's a, a drink on offer later on tonight. So I think everybody probably needs that. And I will take questions if you aren't terrified of asking. 